Hi everyone, welcome to the AI of Mankind show, where I share anything interesting about mankind. I'm your host for this season. My name is Andrew Liu. I've worked across four continents and 12 international cities. Also, I've worked in tech startups across a range of roles from selling products, making customer happy, figuring out fundraising, making finance tick, building teams, and developing sticky products. Apart from building startups, I've also worked in Fortune 500 companies as a chief data scientist or technologist or people leader. You can call me jack of all trades or master of learning. I hope to make this podcast show a great learning experience for us. In each season, there is a series of interesting things where I invite guests to share their views about their life and interests. Now let the show begin. In the previous episode, Jaisel offered her views on she shared with us on how organization can prioritize digital transformation and what is the agile mindset in the process of digital transformation. He also described how can the metaverse look like in the future of work and the need to unplugging away from digital always on. This episode continued the part 3 conversation with Jaisel and Jaisel shared her views on the need to unplug. She will also share what else can companies do with their data analytics as well as observations on different cultures. Let's continue. Look, coming back to that unplugged thing, like you, you're right. There, there is a movement of this. I need to unplug for people who are really working very hard, conscious worker, doing very hard, trying to overcommunicate to build trust. And that's why there was this recent legislation in France. Just last year, they passed that any employer, any boss, or any manager that they have to put a stipulated eight hours per day. And beyond that time box in France, that's in Paris, after 5 p.m., if the boss or the manager ping a message, whether it's an email or call, it will be violating the French labor law. Yes, I and, saw that. Yeah, the right to disconnect. And so that's why there is that need to disconnect to enable our mind to rest. If not, we might be seeing a lot of brain cancers over time. What are your thoughts on that? How long do you even People who manufacture products that are going to help people plug in more, if they themselves will create options to unplug. So we talked about the phone where it gives you a push notification and it's reading your data and it's understanding how long did you log in that week? How much screen time did you have? I wonder even if something like Oculus, VR goggles, or any type of experience experience within the metaverse or whether it's anything will give you an option as the user to see how long you've been in there, to tell you a notification of you exceeding a certain amount of time or even just shut down. So I wonder if the technologies will take on that onus and have that certain kind of value that they would want to help people to not get all lost in these experiences. I'm with you. I'm also searching high and low for a what I call automated breaks. Some kind of alert or notification where to notify the manager, leader, or even the worker himself that hey, I think you have overclocked your body. You gotta go and rest. I haven't seen yeah, that so sure. far. Maybe you might talk to EDP. I might talk to anybody <laughs> else. Oh, maybe maybe yeah, the yeah, audience out there. Netflix. Anybody in the audience who has an idea, you can check out in Feet Marketplace. And literally, I've sent a lot of people to this. Some people have been fucking anything, but it really in many organizations you can do that. If you're an organization, if you're looking at an organization that has a marketplace, you can submit your product 
for consideration and you may end up doing business with a large corporation. You never know. Oh, you mean ADP also does that? Yeah, and you made that. So if you have a product, let's say you claim and you made that, that you built up your business and you wanted to go ahead and come up with that so we could sell it or offer it to our, our clients. Yes, you can come into our marketplace. No betting. You have to go through a process, but yes, it's a thing. Wow, okay, cool. To the audience out there, anybody that wants to partner with ADP, please check out Giselle. She's the lady that unlocks human capital. Okay, so coming back to the future of work, right? So... Another thing about the future of work is I, I, one of the interesting things that, that came out of COVID is for anybody that resigned and came onto the new company and they have in the past before COVID-19, I can go to a workplace and I can just shake hands and say hi to all my new colleagues and look at their face, see how they look at, have small talk, build relationship. But I remember I joined one of the Fortune 500 and after three months, some of the teams have to go back to their own homes. And then I was wondering, hey, I don't really know enough of these people. How do you think that the future of work technology can enable fostering trust and building up their capacity to onboard for productivity? I'll go back to some of the technology we just mentioned. Yes, please. Because I believe that we can use technology to, to recreate those in-person experiences and maybe even amplify in-person experiences. Because I don't think everybody will stay remote forever. I think that... We can already see people are gathering again across the world. But I thought it's smart for organizations to still create those virtual experiences. So let me, let's go through something. Yeah. So onboarding and trying to create those experiences. One will be, let's talk about data analytics. Okay. The organizational network analytics is a tool that can help you see the clusters of where relationships exist in your organizations. So you can literally check to see how are emails being sent back and forth? Where are certain silos existing? Where are there, who is connected the most in the organization? Who is the go-to person that is cross-collaborating with many different departments? So you can start to break down how people engage, how people communicate with each other, and start to use analytics to understand where you can key in. So one of the ways I think in which you can use like even analytics to help people onboard and become new employees and have those better experience, you can start tracking to see who's a loner, who's not to connect them with anybody else in the organization. Why it was like a department that certain people tend to not feel as connected or be as connected or, and then you can start creating those opportunities on purpose to get people to come together. So I think at a strategic level, if you, Organizations because you can use analytics to understand relational dynamics. That's one way. I really um, like that idea that you just talk about using organizational analytics to figure out cluster build relationship. Helping mm-hmm. along that line, I have a true interesting story and I want to get your view. One of my ex bosses who works for some of the big consulting firms and he asked me for ideas on figuring out collaboration. So I just shared the same idea that you described. So bring my things like. I could say, what was the problem that the client was trying to solve? And the client was trying to figure out who's the, who's the uncollaborative asshole here? <laughs> and I was trying to share with him that, hey, this, these techniques or these ideas is able to do that. But he was very hesitant to use it with the client because there's this line of relationship with the client. It was like, if I don't get a strong management buys in, 
And it so happened that Asshole has so much political power, I'll be in trouble. What do you have to say about that? <laughs> I am shaking my head over here and didn't believe, you know what? You should have created this, like, something called the UA. You said it was this is the med check that limit before now is the UA and somebody asked you, what is my tea for? I think, you know what? It goes back to some, it goes back to that inclusion aspect and then really understanding as well the problem you're trying to solve. So is it wrong that you're trying to hold in on one particular person or is it a real problem, a behavioral problem or an, something that's leading to the unsatisfaction or the insatisfaction of that individual or those individuals in the organization? Usually when people feel like they're not a part of an organization and they don't want to collaborate, less about that individual and more about how they feel in the organization. You know what I want to I was like, okay, once we identify who that is, I'm actually going to look further and I'm going to see why that person or those groups of people may be leading to the behavior that you classify as a UA. Or as one of them is someone who's being that person who doesn't want to collaborate. So the uncollaborative a full went to the UA. So I will say that that they haven't had a promotion in a long time. Is it that they're not doing work that stimulates them and energizes them? It was that every time they do collaborate or bring an idea to the surface, they never get they never get highlighted or acknowledged for their achievements and contributions. So I bet you that if you go layers deeper with data, it's going to tell you more. So you again, analytics is so powerful. You can use sentiment analysis to understand how people are feeling. You can use survey data. You can use all kinds of things. And it's risky when we start to make generalizations on people. Based on the behavior that we're observing, we have to go a layer deeper. And they don't identify. What if you would have found that all the people who felt like that were women or were disabled populations? Because then you're getting into an inclusion issue. You're getting into an inclusion issue where it's not so much the individuals as much as maybe the problem is with the organization. Yeah, talking about that, I think a lot of cases, well, in Asia, I don't know, I know you heard of this thing called the bling syndromes. So mm, tell me about that. Yeah. So in Asia, any corporates, there will be two camps. One camp is I will really drive change. And when I say I drive change is I will drive it at the organizational level, meaning I will help to create either sustainability or a profit or reduction in cost or reduction in risk. So the other group of camp is that, oh, it's just too much work, too many organizations, too many bureaucracy, too many retail. Yes, my boss asked me to do it. So I will just create all this project and just talk up it and make it shiny and make it work, bling bling. Therefore, the conversation along this camp people is, oh, how does this project make me look good? Does this project make me look good in front of the CEO? Does this project make me look good in front of the board? And what is your view on this bling bling syndrome? You know? I think that's such a like, wow, if that was dynamic that's happening, what a waste. That doesn't really bring change. It doesn't bring efficiency or cultural change or organizational efficiency, nothing. So I think it happens a lot. We, and even in the United States, I'm like, well, yeah, sometimes I, wouldn't, I didn't know that the word is bling bling over here, but I don't even know if we have a term. But I think sometimes here it's more about what goes to work here. Let's get something else to work in. Let's make sure that this thing sells, even if it's not baked all the way, even if it's not ready, even if it has holes in it, even if it's not as inclusive as it should be. Right now, for example, I'll tell you real quick that here in the United States, there's a big issue. And we have things, Minion and others have been still focusing on the ethics or the lack of ethics in artificial intelligence, especially, for example, when you use AI to help recruit 
help using it to hire people. So the bias and the, the ethical issues that come from that. Now, many products were deployed and already are in the market that use AI for different, different reasons. And one of them is for hiring. And now all of a sudden, there's this greater increase of demands for accountability because many people have exposed that they were discriminated against. Why didn't I get this job opportunity? How is this algorithm coming to its conclusion that I am inept for the job, that I am not a happy person, that I am not a good personality? Like, how is this judging me like that, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. And so that's one thing. And then the data security component as well. What are you doing with my facial analysis that you captured from my video interview? For what are you doing with my voice? Or what are you doing with the data that I gave you? Because you're asking me about vaccination status and this and that, and maybe even exemption. And so where is all of this data going? Who has access to it? How are you protecting it and governing it? What we see sometimes is we go so quickly with different things that then later we have all these issues that come up like what I just described. So it's not the blame. I don't know what to call it. You call that here. We also have then like the too fast, too furious car accident process. Uh, there we go. Yeah, I have worked with some banks and some of the developers, they are really great people. But the boss of typically are say, okay, this project, you're going to go to market. How long does it take? And the guys was very honest. He said, okay, to do one, we need to do a bit of three iterations to develop this software to make sure it's stable to make sure you can explain the ethical side of the AI uh, application. And then the director was like, what? It takes three months? Come on, I'm going to give you 1.5 months. Then the juniors was like, boss, but how are we going to finish this in 1.5 months? And he's like, no, the most important is go to market at all costs, at all costs, go. At all costs. Get a lawsuit later, but just go. Yeah. And it's a strange intersection between what I mentioned earlier. How do you stay agile? where you can create that environment because you do have to, you can't sit on a product forever. You definitely have to launch. Yes. So then that, and you have to have agility, but at the same time, you must at the same concurrent time. And that's what people are pushing more now. I have to have some of them players that account for ethics and governance and cybersecurity and people's inclusion and lack of biases. So yeah, it's an interesting balance. Totally agree with you that we definitely need, like you said, accountability, explainability and ethics which definitely has to be in place. and But also on the other hand, I wanted to point out that the pressure to go to market in a very unrealistic manner just because the boss wanted to look good or trying to finish it fast to hit his KPI to create more shiny projects, it could backfire. So what happened in the end in some of these companies, yes, the software developer delivered, but end up he was sick for a month. Some people have to go to even overworked diet. The Japanese term, uh, kokayusaki or something. It basically means death from overwork. Oh, wow. Goodness. It's getting more prevalent in Asia because in Asia, we tend not to say no to our bosses. We tend to, like, almost like a military, like, whatever the boss says, I'll just soak it up until I crack. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty sad. Yeah. It's a societal pleasure. And I think this is why I think even the products that we produce and definitely the way that we lead our organizations need to think about a multidisciplinary approach to everything that we do. We are humans. True. Humans are doing the work, right? And when we design something or when we think about technology in the future of work, the work, the workplace, the worker himself or herself or themselves, we'll have to think about what goes into designing because I have to design with many people in mind. I have to design for the person, like you mentioned before, maybe you're a caregiver. 
Maybe you are a simple woman, right? Yeah. In the workplace. Maybe I have to design with an anthropological or sociological approach thinking about cultures. Because even if you're in Singapore, you create a product or you deliver a service that's going to reach the Netherlands, that's going to reach Egypt, the United States. You have to think about cultural concepts. You talked about self-driving cars, I think, a moment ago. You cannot create a self-driving car in Singapore that you think is going to work with the same universal rules of cultural application in another country because the car when it's driving down the street and if it thinks that it's going to have a decision to either break because you see an elderly person crossing the street or do you swallow it and hit the animal that's crossing the street which one in your culture has more value what do you do do you break the car do you swallow what do you do even when you make cause little accident this autonomous vehicle needs to know what to do Maybe in Singapore, the cultural aspect of value is different anthropologically from the value that's in the United States. And so we have to account for these things. I totally agree with you. Even like you, like we use the analogy of driving, right? Even the driving rules of engagement on the road is very different. Like, for example, I used to work and live in the U.S. And I think they, they drive on the left or the right. Now you're making me think of my car. So yeah. we're on the left. Our steering wheel is on the left hand side of the car. But we drive on the right side of the road. Yeah. So in Singapore, it was the opposite. So I remember when I was in the U.S., I thought, okay, I can't drive. I've been driving for 15 years. And then, but then when I look at the, oh my God, why is the steering on the other side? Why is the traffic rules on the other side? While the principle of safe driving, learning how to brake, look at the green, or it's like, but the paradigm is not. So I was struggling. So in the same way, we bring it back to the real world. Like you say, in, in America, people like to, say hi, they like to communicate more, they tend to be more explicit. Whereas in Asia, we tend to say very short sentences. Okay, yes, boss. But there are so many meanings, so many interpretations that it can be opened up a can of worms when they try to work with the Americans. So that's why I say the same technology, but if it's designed differently in, in, in a different country, different culture, it might not operate well with application. Yeah, so like an engagement tool to try to understand what motivates your employees, how do they feel at work, what's going to be different based on what you just described as well. We have different things that motivate us culturally. We have different values that we'll try to describe to those. Like here in the United States, I think we're a little more relaxed on this hierarchy situation where we often don't see someone in a high position as someone who's way footprint than the person who has the lowest position in the company. Whereas I think in Asia to what you're describing, there is this more respected role of authority than what we see here in the United States. And that comes from a lot of things. That's not just anthropology. That is sociology, that's the governance over time, our economics, everything that we've seen. Here when somebody runs for you're showing them on late night TV shows doing comedy sketches with people. So that will just change a lot of the perception of authority. Yeah, we agree with you on that. I think, especially you mentioned about the culture, about hierarchy. Yes, in the U.S., people are more, there's more egalitarian or equality. Whereas in, in Asia, when you give an idea of merit, the boss will just say, because I'm the boss. Yeah, I mean, this is not going to work. I'm giving an explanation. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode. We have come to the end of part three with Jaisel. In the next episode, we will continue with Jaisel on part four, which she talk about the importance of taking a multidisciplinary approach to understanding how humans add value and create value using their skills. 
On top of that, she also shared her recommended reading as well as air. Lastly, she offered some of her career tips for those looking to transit into similar roles like hers. If this is the first time you are tuning in, remember to subscribe to this show. If you have subscribed to this show and love this episode, please share it with your friends, family, and acquaintances. See you later, and see you soon. Thank you.